Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. off track with Hinch and Rossi. I feel like you chew well beyond what is necessary to swallow. I feel like for I, an M&M too, it's like two chews. Well, no, there's like two to three yeah. chews. You're chewing like 17 times and the rate <laughs> at which you are chewing is absurd. <laughs> you know what? This actually explains so much about you. Now I understand you better. I understand why you eat so fast because you only chew like three times. No, That's I'm with so it. An M and M is how it's that big. Well, well, I don't, I don't understand chew, how you could chew it that much. Wait, is that a peanut M and M that could change things? It's a peanut M and M. Okay, that changes things, but still, and maybe six chews. But real One. food, crack. You're, no, <laughs> not even enjoying the food. This, that's There's why studies I eat about an entire this. bag. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I guess that's true. You don't even realize you're full because you do one bite and swallow and it hasn't all pooled in your stomach yet. But you're supposed to chew something like 30 times before you swallow. That's like the medically recommended amount of chewing. And I it's now like, I understand. It's like Alex. something you've made up. Nope. We can Google. Like I get we like a steak. That. You want to, you got to, like, but an M&M? Wow, you said like 17. That was pretty accurate. <laughs> for an M&M, that was pretty accurate. But you're supposed to do you're supposed to do 30 for real food. M&M, I feel like you can get away with half 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 the port. Um yeah, you you really got to check your health bud. I I feel like you should be consciously chewing more often than you are. I'm going to argue that more I'm probably enough. the healthiest of the three of us or at least tied for the most healthy of the three of us. <laughs> yeah, James, you're really bringing us down. <laughs> you're really bringing the average down, Jim. <laughs> Just breathing in all so, that Canadian smoky air, which actually I'd like to touch on that real quick um, because my country is burning to the ground. It's very unfortunate. It's very, it's very sad that it's happening, but it's happening and it's a thing and it's not a unique thing to Canada. It happens a lot uh, all over the world. And the amount of Americans that have been like on Canada for the fires, it's a little upsetting. They're very vocal about their disappointment that they're actually, you did it in a group chat earlier, Alex. Don't, and no, I did not. Was it not you? No, it I was Greg. It was Greg. Oh, it was Greg. Sorry, I take that back. You're right, you're right, you're right. It was Greg. And as I said in the group chat, I will now repeat to the greater world who are, you know, the couple of people that listen to the show. Thank you for doing that, by the way. Um, 
everyone's making such a big deal about all the smoke and everything. And it's like, guys, we're just sending the smoke back. It's like you guys forget two years ago when California was burning to the ground because Susan wanted to use C4 for her gender reveal party and you smoked out the entire West Coast of Canada. You didn't, we were all worried about what was happening in California and the people in California. Canada's burning to the ground now. You guys are always worried about, you know, like, yeah, you guys just worried about your, your sun tanning in the Midwest. I said, calm down. That was, that was a really bad, that was, that was a really bad fire then. I remember that. That was when I got air filters for here because it was like the first time I'd seen the air quality in the 200s. Uh. <laughs> so anyway, I hope that everything is getting better back home and everybody in the States can relax about the smoke. It's fine. It's gone. now. It's going away. Anyway, I just had to say that. It is kind of there. weird in the news. Like I, I just hear there's fires in Canada. I don't hear about like, are people ge- being evacuated? Is it, is it hitting populated areas or is it more of just like a wildfire thing? I think it's more wild. Uh, I think, you know, again, we don't, we have a lot of land for the amount of people yeah. we have. So uh, I feel like it's more on the, on the wild side, which is very un-Canadian. Well, we, uh, we got a good amount of racing to talk about between, uh, between mid Ohio and Chicago and did F1 race this weekend? Was it just as boring as it always is? Got it. I mean, you um, can argue that IndyCar was equally as boring as F1. I don't season. know. There was a hell of a battle for 12. <laughs> <laughs> In the dying stages. Um, why, okay, so hang on. Why do you say that, Alex? What, what, what do you, why do you think that uh, IndyCar is equally as boring? Well, because you can predict the winner. <laughs> yeah, for the first time since I've been watching IndyCar, you can pretty accurately predict the winner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Polo won again um, from third on the grid. He mm. just did a good job, man. He just did a good job. He did the overcut on the first stint with the primaries when the guys in front of him were on the alternates and then had a baller alternate stint. Didn't really, he just pulled away from everybody and didn't seem to hit a cliff at any point. Yeah, admittedly, and like just heard a had problem with he had the pit limiter problem yeah but then, like he was he his he was getting his ass kicked anyways was like, he okay. no yeah no no one was gonna no one was gonna catch alex it was just it wasn't gonna happen his his pace was so dominant at the end that we had scott dixon who we've mentioned once or twice on the show is pretty good at indycar yeah, he, stuff that kid's got a future yeah and and specifically actually mid ohio he has won six times at mid ohio and pretty nifty around that spot. So in the same car, Polo in that final stint, because Dixon did Dixon things, and uh, you know he qualified okay, but he got himself up in a second by being super fast and good strategy and all the rest of it. Um, and so he was running second. So you're second to Scott Dixon, who's the king of mid-Ohio, and great at everything, and you're in the same car. And he pulled out like a 10-second lead in the last stint again. Like just the same crazy we've been seeing. And then he caught two lapped cars, which is a topic that I'm sure we'll discuss because I know it was something yeah. that came up a lot. Um, and Alex might have a, a, an opinion on this, but came up with two lap cars, but didn't even try to pass them because he's like, there's like eight laps left and I have an eight second lead. So I'm just going to stick. I'm just going to stay here. I'm just going to hang out and still win by five seconds, which is what he did. It was, it was super impressive. Um, 
Colton had a great qualifying and great start to the race. He he told me earlier in the weekend that he wasn't super thrilled on the Reds in general. So he kind of figured if he could survive that first stint, he'd be in a good spot. But they had the pit lane problem, and uh, it just it's all sort of came unraveled. Um, what else? Kirkwood. Kirkwood had something. Oh, yeah. Kirkwood got sort of spun out by, not spun out, like he and Polo got together in turn four, and he ended up spinning and kept going, but lost a bunch of track position. Which was too bad because he was having a good race. Um, he was, yeah, man. Though. You're right. I mean, it like, was, it was his, going okay. His day, his day was like catastrophic. Was it on like the he red? Finished, he finished behind Devlin. Yeah. Oh, really? It was very bad. Yeah. Very, ah, very bad. Because when he spun, so, he only lost two spots. Well, I think it was. I think it was a few more than that. But he was ahead of Dev. So yeah. Um, all right. So tell me about your day, Monsieur Rossi. Tell me about your weekend. No, he only lost a spot to Lungard. No. In- inaccurate. He, maybe Malukas? I watched, the, I literally just watched the replay at lunch. He lost one. He lost five spots. So, like I said, <laughs> <laughs> I just watched it and I told you he lost five. <laughs> Dude, like, uh, so, yes. you should pay more attention to the race. Yeah, James. I thought you could paid to watch this stuff. I thought you James were right. only lost one spot. You know? Yeah, I thought you were the lead commentator. Here, here we go, man. Uh, yeah, sorry, guys. I'll do better next time. Uh, I'll this would have never happened awesome. if it was off track with Diffie and Rossi. Side, side note. Uh, sidebar, Tim texted me during qualifying because when Pato had his spin, I like said he spun off track or something like that. And then Tim texts me, he's like, Yeah, you gotta you gotta then follow that up with a plug for the show. <laughs> and someone someone else on Twitter was like, Did you intentionally say that? Or uh but yes, so Kirkwood lost one to five spots. We can't be sure how many exactly. Um but yes, back to back to your weekend. You went in there with a certain degree of confidence based on the team's performance last year. So how'd your weekend go? Uh, it was probably our worst weekend of the year from a really sp- just speed standpoint. Yeah, um, just never had it figured out, man. It was never. We talk about it cars being in the window or not, and. It was just a lot of not. So we chased it as best we could. We needed rain to really be a, a kind of an equalizer and um, no rain came. So it was just pounding around, uh, pick up some spots when people have issues. And yeah, one of those days, like it was just not, we, we just really were not in, in the game. At all, pace wasn't point. there. Nothing you can yeah. do with strategy. There was other than the start. There was no yellows, so there's nothing you can yeah. like even get lucky on, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I will say, like, I had a pretty so I had a pretty uh, big battle with Grosjean. So we started next to each other, <laughs> and on one of the like opening laps, you know, I had to run out of one, so I rolled the outside of two, and I was like, the whole time, I was like, here we, here we, <laughs> <laughs> like, I was just waiting for it, and to his like absolute credit like he gave me a full car width and a half and we had a good race all the way kind of from there through turn nine so i was actually the most enjoyable part of my day um yeah i thought that was that was all very ironic that we ended up starting next to each other one year removed yeah 
Um, but yeah, no, we, like I said, we, we weren't, we weren't competing for really anything. We were just driving around. That's a bummer. Is it, is it something that you have an idea of the, the root cause and a handle on how to fix, or is it kind of one of those weekends where you're walking away with more questions than you walked in with? I think there's two independent issues going on. Um, and one we've got a pretty good handle on, or we have a, a, a clear idea of, of, of having a handle on it. Um, the other side of the equation I think is kind of the, the black magic mystery confusion thing that can set in at times. So uh, there's what's, what's fortunate is we have like amazing resources from a simulation standpoint, not necessarily like drivers um, driving a sim, but like from an offline sim standpoint from kind of the F1 team and stuff. So I think that'll be very beneficial in terms of helping point us in a direction. There you go. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it just seemed like an anticlimactic Sunday. Like it just didn't seem like a whole lot really went on from your side or in general, from, from just from an IndyCar standpoint. Ah, well, yeah. I mean, if, if Polo just keeps winning races, it's not going to be fun for anybody for much longer. He has now a 110 point lead in the championship over Dixon which means he could sit out the next two rounds and Dixon has to qualify on pole, lead a lap, lead the most laps, and win the race in both of them just to get within two points. Like, he could go on a month-long vacation right now So here's, and still here's come back where, the leader. Here's where Alex is still under threat. Short ovals. Just Joseph at Iowa. Right. So that that's and that's what I was that's what I was gonna get to is and, and we've talked about this during the broadcast, right? Like it's this the season's ebb and flow, the championship ebb and flows, all that stuff. It's been I think it's been 17 years, I think I heard somebody say that since we've had a, a title locked up before the final round in IndyCar. Like it's it's a rare thing to happen. But yes, you have he has done a great job on super speedways this year. I got to give him a ton of credit. Hit Texas, I thought he raced way better there than he had ever before. Um, again, it's not a huge data pool to pull off of. He's only been in the series for a couple of years. Um, Andy, obviously, he's been great the last few years and did a phenomenal job on his comeback there. But the short ovals are different. And those are like, that's the only kind of track that he sort of hasn't had a breakout result in yet. Um, I think he's been okay, but I don't think it's been exceptional. I don't think Ganassi cars are particularly strong in Iowa. I think that's been a weakness of theirs. I know I've had that conversation with Dixon over the years. Um, and gateway has been a Penske track for a while. Uh, so I would say that your point is very valid. Joseph is incredibly good at Iowa, uh, incredibly good at gateway. And it could really sort of swing things back into a different direction. So it's it's not by any means over. It's going to be an interesting stretch here. Toronto will be interesting. There's been some changes to the track there, some paving. We have too many cars there, to be totally honest. Pit lane can't really take 27 cars, but we're going to somehow shoehorn them in there and just hope nothing goes wrong. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting. It's interesting to see and watch. and. Everybody needs to keep motivated and not get sad. He's beatable. He's got to beat him. 
Yeah, no, it's it's that's been obvious, you know, the past month and a half. <laughs> like it's I, four of the last five races. And it's arguably just nuts like that, Indy. Like and should have won probably would have won Indy. Yeah. Yeah. It's just nuts to not see the usual amount of bad luck that can happen. Like there's been well, and that, and I mean, that's just had it, bad right? luck like, at Indy. Yeah, okay. That's fair. But not yeah. like catastrophic bad luck to the same degree. Oh, I guess he did, and then he came back. But, yeah, he literally went to 27th Yeah, in, at yeah. half distance. It wasn't like it was a first lap or a first pit stop thing. Like, it was halfway through the race. So, in the, yeah. Indy, in the Indy 250, he went from 27th to 4th. Uh, pretty pretty impressive. The um, the thing, like, he has, he has one finish outside the top five so far this year. And it was St. Pete. It was St. Pete. So, like, it's it's... Again, the last time I saw a championship even remotely this like dominated, it was Dixon in 08. Dixon in 08, I think he won six races and he was on the, you know, same kind of thing, like on the podium another eight times and was like never outside the top 10 sort of thing. Uh, But even then, it still came down to the last race. It was a, he would have to finish last and somebody would have to win for him to be knocked off kind of thing. It was still mathematically possible it just shows how everyone else has had at least one or two like really bad days on, on Sunday. And he just hasn't had that yet. So, you know, he's got a nice buffer, but it ain't over. You know, he had an engine failure in 21 when he was trying to lock up the championship at the second GP. And there have been some issues with some of the Hondas so far this year, have been some issues with some of the Chevy so far this year, like their engines are not a hundred percent. Um, 100% reliable. So a lot can happen. A lot can happen. I digress. Mid-Ohio was an interesting race. And uh, congrats to Alex. Congrats to Colton on pole. And, oh, yeah, sorry. I do want to talk about the lap car thing, though. Hmm. Peterson making some about, friends. Do you want to? I mean, I've, I've, dude, I've, I've talked enough about it. I've had my opinions about it. I vocalized it. It doesn't seem to matter. No one cares. So I'm good. Did you talk to him after the race? No. Yeah. The, I mean, this is the debate that's come up so many times, right? About lap down cars and push to pass and all that stuff. And the thing about the thing about it, like, look, per the rules, you have the right to race, you know, especially when you're trying to stay on the lead lap. I get that. Right. Once you've fallen a lap down to the leader, it's again, per the rules, you have the right to spray and pray and block and do all that stuff if you want to. But there comes a point in the race where you have to have some awareness of where you are in the race, what your actual prospects are, and the the cost. It's a cost-benefit analysis, right? The cost of doing that and holding up lead lap cars racing for position in the dying laps when like at this point even if a caution came out you're past the last stops nobody's coming in you're not getting your lap back you're not really fighting for anything there's nothing to gain but in the the process you can you can piss off a lot of people and and kind of hurt your street cred and you know for whatever reason that's just what i feel like happened to peterson you know whether he knew the whole situation but i have no idea what information his team was giving him I have no idea if this was a conscious decision or he was just like cars around me. I got to, I got to race them. 
Um, but if that is the case, there's a huge lack of communication on the stand side and the team's got to take some responsibility there and, and help kind of tell the, uh, tell the story. But even at one point, I think it was even it was either you or Pato came up behind him. And I think it was Pato because Will comes on the radio. They're like, yeah, we talked to Chevy. Um, he's not cooperating. So, you know, and because sometimes that, that that's what will happen, right? You got a Chevy powered car being held up by a Chevy car powered car. That's a lap down. The Chevy people will talk, say, hey, look, let's help each other out. Let's not make this awkward and all just burn a bunch of push to pass. And uh, and for whatever reason, he was not being cooperative. And that just led to you know, we saw McLaughlin go talk to him. Every interview that we did, basically after the race, drivers made comments about that phenomenon, and it was really only one guy that was doing it to that degree. So it was wasn't hard the to one, read the lines there. The one thing you brought up on the broadcast, which I I think was the only possible defense of it, was that he was Rosenquist was on the same racing lap. Rosenquist for position. So if right. it was yeah, but that and then I don't know, and then T Bell T Bell's rebuttal was, at that point. Right. T-Bell's yeah, rebuttal for was for 25th. Yeah. You know, so like, what do you, what are we, what are you doing? So anyway, it, it is what it is. Um, that was Ohio. We go to Toronto next in two weeks, which is very exciting. Well, it we sounds like you guys are racing. dancing around saying it, but I can say it. He was being an asshole. <laughs> it's not what I would have done in that scenario. Let's put it that way. <laughs> VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then, there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. So, Toronto in two weeks. Excited to get there. We'll obviously touch more on that in next week's episode. A lot of other racing going on this week. Um, let's touch on F1 first in that there's two things I want to talk about in the F1 race. The I, I haven't, I haven't watched the whole race. I know how it ended again. I know <laughs> like IndyCar now, you know how it ends before it starts. Right, uh, right. but did you see the whole track limits like mess? 
Not to any sort of sort of detail to be able to comment on it. No. Twelve hundred track limits violations were called in during the race. Just during the race, not the whole weekend. Maybe it was maybe it was the weekend. I thought I read it as the race, but like let's this is just some simple math here. I think it was a was it a 70 lap race. Let's call it a 70 lap race. And there are 20 cars. That's every that's basically every car calling in at least one a lap for the entire race, if that's what it was. But either way, 1,200 track limits, whether it was over three days or one day, it doesn't matter. It's insane. They handled it like so many post-race five-second penalties. It changed the whole order, all this stuff. At what point are those types of tracks just going to acknowledge that the best way to do this is put gravel there or grass there and stop giving them the opportunity to do that? Also, these are some of the best drivers on earth. Alex, you have said multiple times, as have many people that we know recently who have driven these cars, they're very responsive. Mm. I, I don't want to use the word they're easy to drive, but they're very responsive to driver input, right? Mm-hmm. So the best drivers on earth with some of the most capable machinery on earth. How mm-hmm. hard is it to just not go over the line? Like, you just, just don't do it. It was infuriating to watch. Yeah. Uh, did you see Christian Horner's interview post qualifying? Oh. <laughs> yeah. About Checo. Yeah. He's like one strike. All right. I get it. Second strike. Checo, please stay in the lines. Third strike. Like what the, what the actual man? Like I don't you have, the pay, the race, you don't have to try that hard. You're in a Red Bull. Just qualify right. fourth. Who cares? Right. And, and in, Qualifying, you lose the lap. In the race, you get three strikes before the black and white flag, which is next strike is actually the penalty. So you've got to do it four times before you get a penalty. And I just don't understand. Like, think of it as a wall. Like, just do it. You're a professional driver, man. Like, figure it out. And the difference of the three inches between being on the line or over the line, like, that is gaining you nothing in the race. Like I get in qualifying your 10 tenths and you're going for every millimeter, but like what I just could not believe it was that big of an issue for that many drivers. It's kind of comical. I, I will say that that track in particular, the curbs are like, I'm not defending them, but the curbs are wider than normal curbs. Okay. Right. So, and they're all usable. So it's very easy to like, Think that you've only used some of well, no. Think you've only used some of it because of like, or I don't even know what I'm saying. Think you've used all of it, and then there's some more be, based on just your perception of what a normal red and white curb is. And right, then because because more, of so what's the car kind on of the floats. outside, what's left, you would assume you have enough room to the inside exactly. still to be inside. Exactly. Yeah, what you're saying. So what it's you're not saying. that track in particular is hard. Like. I was able to get around there without getting track limits penalties, but I can see how it's done. Right. But, but it's still, just like, okay, once excuse. you've had two in the race, 12, it's like, 1200 okay, is dumb. Let's just make sure that my inside tires never touch the curb. Never even touch it. Let's just pretend that's yeah. the new rule. You know? Right. Like, there you know. go. Yeah. So the other thing I wanted to touch on was um, the sprint race format. Do you Dude, have a, an opinion the, on that? The entire reason I didn't watch any of Austria is because I am so confused 
as to what qualifying means and what the first race means and then what the f- a sprint shootout is and then what qualifying again. I don't know. I don't understand it. And I feel like I'm pretty well-versed in how motorsport events go. And <laughs> I you, cannot, know a couple? for the life of me, follow along with F1 sprint format weekends. Okay. So this was something that was done consciously by Formula One to try to make Friday and Saturday more appealing to fans, I guess, right? I understand the original premise. You qualify, you have less practice time, you do a sprint race, which sets the grid for the race. But that is all gone now. Right. So the reason they did away with that was everybody was driving too cautious in the sprint race because it affected your starting position for the actual race, which is all anybody really cares about. So now they've gone to a format where you do practice one on Friday as normal. Instead of practice two, you have qualifying for the Grand Prix on Sunday. Saturday is essentially a standalone single day event where what was FP3 becomes the sprint shootout qualifying, which sets the grid for the sprint race Saturday afternoon and has absolutely no effect on the Grand Prix. Dumb. I mean, better than it was in terms of concept. But this is where I struggle a little bit. And maybe I'm unique in this, but I love Formula One. I have actively followed it my whole life. Big F1 guy. And what I have found... Big F1 guy. Right. What I have found is that on those weekends, trying to keep up with... Okay, on a normal weekend, trying to keep up with practice on Saturday, and or on Friday, sorry, practice on a qualifying Saturday, pretty manageable. When you get to having a qualifying Friday, a qualifying and a race Saturday and a race Sunday, as a fan, it's a lot of, it's a huge time commitment to try to actually stay up to date with what's happening in all of those sessions. And still, the only thing you really care about at the end of the day is the race. But it actually has turned me off of following along the weekend because I just, I don't have the time. Like I, I, it takes so much more. Like if I want to go home and rewatch two qualifying sessions or rewatch the sprint, right? Like I just don't have that kind of time. And so in an attempt to try to draw more people in, I wonder if I'm the only one that's like, you know what? I'm actually paying less attention until Sunday now. Cause that's all that matters. And the other stuff's just too much information to try to take in. Dude. I, I literally I'm, I'm there, but like a step further, I don't, like I said, I don't even pay attention to sprint weekends. I'm just not, it feels fake to me. It feels right. like it's, it's an, all of it's an exhibition and you get to Sunday and it feels not exciting. Cause it's like, I already saw the race. Like right. for Stappen's on pole, I know exactly what's going to happen. Like, I, I don't know. I want there to be at least some sort of drama and buildup and suspense for Sunday. Yeah. Like Gives maybe something to look forward to. Maybe there's a chance the Red Bulls have massive tire dag or something, but like you're going to know that by Saturday. And so if they just cruise right. away on Saturday, you already like, know what's going to happen Sunday. Yeah. Like, why would I even bother? Hate it. Yeah. I, I mean, absolutely hate it. And I wonder, it'd be interesting to talk to fans who go to the races, right? Like, it really is, it really benefits. They don't know what's going on. I, I, that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. But I'm, I'm wondering if there's anyone that's like, yeah, yeah, I'm more willing to pay, you know, $78,000 for a ticket for the weekend because I know I'm getting two races <laughs> and two admission. qualifyings. That's, yeah, yeah, it's, that's not a grandstand or anything. Uh, heaven forbid you want to eat or drink. But, so yeah, what are they I doing just, in I Vegas wonder, for a million bucks? Honestly, they're going to be blackout <laughs> drunk before the green flag. Well, yeah, considering it's midnight. 
it's starting at 10 p.m. Western time or Pacific time. Like it's right. crazy. But yeah. yes, I don't know. The, I This was like, I've kind of had that feeling, but this weekend really just drove the point home. And I'm like, I feel so far behind. And like, look, yes, it is It is also now part of my job because I, the, I do these races and I write a column for F1.com. And so I need to be a little bit apprised of what's happening in the series. But mm. like this weekend, I feel very behind the eight ball in doing any of that stuff because it's just too much going on. And like people, like, like, if I like football, right? I know that there's a football game on Thursday night. There's a football game on Sunday night. It's a football game on Monday night. That's three days a week. I get that. But like most but people watch, right. I was just going to say most like, people watch their team games. The diehards will watch them all or one no. night or whatever. No, everyone watches Thursday and Monday night because it's something to do. And then people watch their team if their team is playing on Sunday. But yeah, right? Right. Yeah, sure. I guess. You'll put it on, but you're not like, I don't know. Well, you're blowing you're a pretty vested mind. when you have cash on it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, yes. You're, <laughs> yes. That's a unique, uh, it's a unique angle that not everybody takes, I guess. I feel like the, uh, the numbers for sports betting from the previous year would argue, I think most people are actually taking that angle. You are in the minority, James. That's fair. Uh, so that's the F1 rant. And then, man, Chicago NASCAR. What a day. Long day. Yeah. Let's <laughs> talk. Talk about that. Race starts at like six, I think, by the time that she got going. And then I think I texted you guys. I was like, it's 7.30 and we're at one-fifth distance. This is mm. not good. This is not good. They ended up shortening the race mid-race because they were worried about By 25 laps. Yeah. Yeah. They took a quarter of the race off. And it still didn't end until like 9.30. Yeah. It was an almost yeah. four-hour race for three-quarters distance. Yeah. Now... When formulating this plan, they probably didn't consider how much slower laps in the wet were for a stock car around a street course. But still, it seemed like a pretty big miss uh, on that sense. Regardless, the track looked cool. The visuals were good. I must say, I must say, I have to be careful. Yeah, you can't say what you're trying to say, but I think everybody knows what you want to say. Cool. I sure don't. <laughs> <laughs> it looked good, James. You're absolutely right. Looked real good. Okay. For a first time street time circuit street in a major circuit. city, they did a great job making it look good and 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 all of that stuff. And uh it looked pretty busy. Like the even at the end, the, all the grandstands seemed pretty full, which was cool. It was good to see. Um yeah. but the talk of the talk of the weekend, man, SVG. I mean, here's the thing. I knew it was going to happen, but like I, part of me was like, there's no way like going when, when they announced this, I was like, Oh dude, like just give him the trophy. Now he isn't even enough to bother coming from New Zealand. Like that's a big effort. But then it was like, man, like chase Elliott's pretty good. Like Christopher Bell's Kyle pretty Bush good. is pretty good. Tyler Reddick is pretty, pretty good. Like there's some there's some dudes that can drive right and left. Yeah. There's some dudes yes. that are like I would say very well qualified to compete on road courses and a new street course and they know the equipment and they have badass equipment. Not saying that track house cars aren't badass, but my point is like 
I knew he was going to be really, really good, but I didn't quite believe that he could actually like go through the whole event, do everything that comes with it, not get dumped. Like I didn't think it would actually happen. And but there's a you good always reason. Knew the speed was, you always knew the speed was there for it to very easily happen. For sure. For sure. There's a very good reason you would think, yeah, it's just probably not going to happen. It's because it hasn't happened for like 60 years. Yeah. And all those things you said, it's all the little things, right? It's not about driving the race car fast. Like, of course, Shane Van Giesbergen is going to be able to do that. But there's just so many new things, nuances, little procedural things, whatever. Something could have gone wrong so easily. But then on top of that, most importantly, especially with an overtime finish, with the GWC finish, with, with the, the prospect way of, playoff rules work, the prospect of him not getting dumped seemed completely implausible. It just seemed like was, there was no the way. Was, I guarantee people were trying. They couldn't catch him. Well, that one, that's just it, right? So right. His, his pure pace at the end of the day was so phenomenal. He had fastest lap by eight-tenths of a second. The top five fastest laps were all his. This is a car he had been in once before, one day at the Charlotte Roval. And, you know, it, so much is being made about the fact that he right foot brakes which just infuriates me to no, to no extent because of what we went through in the supercars. And like, like, man, maybe all these, you know, all, all these open wheel guys have been like, hey, man, left foot braking is definitely way faster. You definitely have to do that. And all these younger NASCAR drivers all left foot brake. And then this guy comes in and right foot. How much of it's technique? How much of it's just experience on street circuits? So that's what I want to break down, right? Incredible performance. The car was good. We know he's talented. All those things. But there's a few factors that kind of all add into this, right? Brand new track for everybody. I genuinely think that makes a big difference, right? The fact that none of those guys have ever raced on a street circuit, whereas Shane will have had, I don't know, dozens of wins, not even just starts, but wins on a street circuit. How much of that plays into, into the factor? So like, Look at it the other way. If we were racing at Watkins Glen, would it have been the same performance? No, it would not. Exactly. I don't think so. Because because you look at you look at the Coda example we had from this year, right? Right, exactly. Jordan Taylor. Jordan Taylor. We all know he's a freaking legend in racing, like in anything, a DPI car, a GTLM car, anything he gets in, he's gonna be fast. He had multiple days of testing and he was in the nine car. I'm not again, the track house car is good. It is not Chase Elliott's Hendrick, Hendrick. nine car. Yeah. It's not. And so the fact of the matter is there was guys that like could beat him or hang with him. It coulda, right? He was, he was yeah. competitive and he was in the game, but he, he was, wasn't winning. He was right? in the fight. Right. Right. Yeah. Whereas I think you are absolutely right. It a hundred percent comes down to the fact that, and, and I even read an interview um, with Shane after the race and he was like, yeah, man, like I'm just, comfortable on street courses. I was watching some of these guys. They were doing a good job, but I was using like an extra couple feet that they weren't yeah. using just because they're not used to being that close to the walls and they're not used to knowing that that's where lap time comes from and all of this sort of thing. So it's like he had a massive leg up just from, from the off, like just immediately. Yeah. Um, it was the perfect I do, I do. I do think though, that especially in those conditions, like the right foot braking played 
you know, had it been, had it been completely dry, you know, maybe not, maybe it still would have been better, but not to the extent of damp track slicks going through puddles in breaking zones, all this stuff for him to be able to right foot break and like avoid any sort of rear locking. Like that would have been huge for him to, to be able to get, you know, an extra 10, 15 feet on guys. in right. breaking. This zones, is, I think this is a, probably a dumb question. I don't understand. I I've never heard that there was a difference between right foot and left foot braking amongst different race car drivers or disciplines. So, so Tim, when you like drive, so Tim, when you drive your car, what do you do? Yeah. I brake with my right foot. I when you go off. drive go-karts, what do you do? Yeah. Okay. So that's it. That's, I'm just you know sometimes i like to ask the dumb questions keep up for the audience no, no, it's, it's, i didn't realize valid, that they did it differently yeah it's a valid point the 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 majority of drivers in supercars in australia right foot brake and the reason they're all capable of left foot braking they don't have a semi-automatic gearbox like all four mil cars do these days okay and so you can Anytime you're doing a downshift, you need to match the RPMs of the engine with the wheel speed, basically. And as you downshift a gear, that engine RPM has to go up to match that ratio with that wheel speed. You, when you left foot brake, you kind of just do it by blipping the throttle as you press the, the lever forward, as you make that downshift. And it's, it's not guesswork. It's, it's precise. There's, a, there's an art to it. Um, but when you right foot brake, you can actually clutch on the downshifts and blip the throttle while the clutch is in and you can be a little more precise, but you can also, the, the release of the clutch makes that transition from one gear to the other, a little less abrupt. And to Alex's point in low grip conditions that can sometimes help the rear be more stable and, and not have lock up under a downshift. And we saw a lot of guys get caught out by that, right? Like a lot of those incidents where we saw guys going to the wall was rear brake lock. Yeah. See, um, I understood all this. This is for Alex's benefit. <laughs> I knew he needed. So I know he needed. So in his interview, in his interview, he says, yeah, I've got one more year on my supercars contract, but I would absolutely come do NASCAR in 25. That's, that's a big ask, man. That's a very big ask. I mean, well, he's, I, he's playoff eligible now, isn't he? No, you have to do all the races. <laughs> no, one win. Oh, you have to do yeah. all the races. Um, I thought he was just getting a win. So, here's here's the thing. That's that's a little bit cart before horse, because yeah. he would get absolutely ruined at like destroyed. Pick Kentucky, one. Atlanta. Well, actually, Atlanta that's a plate track now, but well, yeah, uh, Texas. Uh. uh uh, Darlington, Darlington, Dover, Martinsville. Yeah. I mean, like, see you, pal. Yeah, having Thanks never seen an oval before, it's yeah. uh, oh man. So like, I get it if if somebody wants to get because he's obviously an insanely talented racing driver, and so if he had the right opportunity and the right amount of time, eventually he could probably get there thereabouts. But like, you look at guys like Dario but, but think who of, came in no. with, but think about AJ, right? AJ Allmendinger is has been in Cup for a decade now. Or oh, yeah, Xfinity Xfinity Cup driving those cars, right? And he is years. still he is still viewed as like the road course guy. Like, right. Yeah. It has been over a decade and he is still not like an oval guy. Like he's good. He's right, good like, enough. He, but the fact that there's now more road courses has actually given him better opportunities at better for sure. equipment. For sure. It's like and like Shane's you know, not he, 
he just won he just won the Xfinity race in Nashville last week, and that was his point. He was like, I love getting wins on ovals and shutting everybody up because you're right, a decade and a half in the sport, and he's still considered the road course ringer, uh, even though he does have some oval wins. But, man, it takes a minute to get that experience and get that understanding. So it'll be interesting. Um, but still, huge props to Shane for what he did. Oh, it was awesome. It was fun to watch. Yeah, guy's a legend I'm in the so- sport. I'm so glad that McLaughlin didn't come in and win St. Pete, his first event. <laughs> uh, remember when we like genuinely thought that was a concern? Like we like, Oh, this, this could happen. Like we well, no, might, but like, I mean, it ended up happening just a year later. But yeah. Like, like a second time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I gotta imagine like as much as all of these things that we said are true, like it's tough to be a cup driver and like go home Sunday night after that and be like, Oh, yeah, we just was oh. is wasn't it Chase Elliott? I think tweeted or it, I saw a tweet where Chase Elliott was quoted in an interview, being like, "Yeah, he's going to go back home and tell everybody how much NASCAR drivers suck." <laughs> Which I mean, yeah, <laughs> he's. I one mean, for he's one. not going to do that, but yes, I mean, he, he, here's the thing: he should just never step in a cup car again, and literally well, have exclusively a, just do Chicago. Batting no, because you could still lose. <laughs> batting a thousand in a in a in a racing career at a professional level, no one has ever done that. You could walk away as the only Cup driver in history to have won a hundred percent of the races that you started. This is this is the last kind of topic that I'll kind of or or last point I'll make on the topic. Um, Shane Shane's done Daytona twenty four hours Daytona a couple times in a GT car, and. Yes he's been good. Like he's been great. He's been very fast, but he hasn't been unbeatable. So I think that just, again, goes to show, you know, the, the reason why he wasn't necessarily unbeatable at Daytona is because like guys knew Daytona guys knew their way around it, whether they were came from cup, whether they came from sports cars, whether they came from IndyCar or whatever, like they knew their way around it to your, to your point, which I think is the biggest one because no one knew anything. He was just miles ahead from the get-go. He just, it was an equal playing field from track knowledge standpoint, but an heavily bias in his favor from a type of track understanding, you know, standpoint. So anyway, like you said, remarkable result. Um, congrats again to Polo Ahmed, Ohio. Uh, Max, I guess, on F1. And we have a weekend off coming up. Alex, do you have any plans this weekend? No. No, I'm I'm going to Charlotte on Friday to drive the video game. And mm-hmm. that's about it. I know you you're go. going to England to my favorite track in the world. Uh, to Is that really? That's your favorite? Versa- I mean, top four favorite tracks in the world to go watch for staff and win. So that'll be cool. All right. Well, uh, yes, I'm going to be in Silverstone doing some F1 stuff, which will be fun. And Timbo, how about you? Uh, I am going to be hanging out here. I got no plans, <laughs> nothing going on. Very excited for it. Going to work on your running. Yeah. Good. All right. Well, enjoy your nothingness. Alex, enjoy your nothingness. I leave tomorrow and go to work again, but that's nice. This has been Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. Off Track is part of the Sirius XM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts. We're at Ask Off Track on Twitter and Instagram. 
If you want to follow us on Twitter individually, I'm at Hinchtown. He's Alexander Rossi. And if you want to follow Tim, though we have no idea why you would, he's at the Tim Durham on Twitter. Follow us on YouTube and subscribe to our channel for exclusive video content. Off Track is produced by Tim Durham, and by that we mean Tim. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then, there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.